Welcome to the Healthcare Business Secrets Show, where we interview industry leaders and break down exactly how they're dominating their markets so you can learn from the best and can double your revenue, double your impact, and double your time off. In this episode, we're talking with Benton Crane. Benton is the CEO of Harmon Brothers, a company behind the viral videos for companies such as Squatty Potty, Purple Mattress, Poopery, ClickFunnels, and Fiberfix. Their viral marketing videos together have generated more than a billion views. Welcome to the show, Benton. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I've, I've watched your, you know, who hasn't, to be honest, seen at least one of your videos, I think, or know about it. And um, the one that got me was Squatty Potty and the uh, the unicorns. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. So for those who don't know, some of these videos, and I'll, I'll put the links in, in the show notes because I think they're, they're genius. And you're watching them. And for me, it was like, what the hell am I watching? This is the greatest thing ever. I need to, <laughs> I need to find out what this product is. But I just wanted to watch it because I wanted to watch it. Like I, the Fiberfix video, I, I watched it multiple times and I showed a bunch of friends because it was hilarious. And I think that's the point, right? Like if you've got humor and it's entertaining and it's also educational, I think that's, that's the, the, the trifecta there. But before we kind of get into that, give us a little bit of background on you. Like how did you get into doing this sort of thing? What, what got you to the point of, of coming up with these blockbusters, so to speak, ads, you know what I mean? They just dominate. It's, a, it's great. It's so good. Yeah, well, an important note here. So that Squatty Potty unicorn that poops rainbow ice cream out of its butt that was a uh, completely sober creation, believe it or not. There were no drugs involved in the, in the creation of that, that ad or that character. But yeah, so my background, I started out as kind of a numbers geek, believe it or not. You know, with my nose in spreadsheets, my career started out in Washington, D.C. I worked in the intelligence community as a statistician and a data analyst. And my now partners, Jeff Neal and Daniel Harmon, they were at the time busy pioneering YouTube marketing at a company called Aura Brush. It's a tongue scraper that you scrape your tongue with and it gets rid of bad breath. And they were kind of the first company to really launch and grow and scale using YouTube. Google had mm. just recently bought YouTube. Prior to that, it was just like, cat videos and stuff. Mm. And um, YouTube wanted to turn it into an advertising platform. And so, you know, the brothers were in the right place at the right time. And they built an ad and put it up on YouTube. And it spread like wildfire, grew like crazy. This tiny little company, Aura Brush, ended up getting nationwide distribution in Walmart and CVS and Target mm. and all these big nationwide retail chains. And ultimately, they, they ended up getting acquired by Dentec. So I was kind of watching all that happening from afar. And, you know, I'm good friends with, with the brothers. Um, I'm actually a cousin, so we, we grew up together. And, and so Jeff and I would talk on a regular basis. And when the company Poopery, the, uh, you know, it's the toilet spray that you spray in the mm. bowl before you, before you go, they were reaching out to Jeffrey in their words, they were LinkedIn stalking him and trying to convince him to come to Poopery and, and do a campaign for them. And he and I were chatting about it and he, he told me, hey, this stuff, it's real. It really works. I tried it and uh, I left the bathroom door wide open and my wife still couldn't smell me, which of course I'm like, okay, Jeff, too much information. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, hey, this is cool. Like Jeff is really sold on this product. He believes in it. And maybe this is an opportunity to join forces with them and help them create the next chapter of whatever. At the time, it was 
you know, YouTube marketing it since has become Facebook and Instagram and, and everything else. But at the time we called it YouTube marketing. And so I was super excited about the possibility of pioneering with him and, and his brothers you know, this new form of advertising in this new industry, essentially. And so I offered to join up with him and move my family across the country, you know, from Washington, D.C. to Utah is where we're based here. And so he was kind of like, whoa, it's a poop spray, but let's do it. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, uh, we joined up and then Neil came on and then Daniel came on. We got together and we made the poopery campaign and it was wildly successful. And then things snowballed year after year. And now we've done squatty potty and purple mattresses and chat books and fiber fix and Lumi deodorant and many, many Mm -hmm. others. And, you know, each of those has, you know, helped scale those respective companies, you know, every time by tens of millions of dollars. And in some cases, Mm -hmm. you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's a, it's a pretty fun story. Yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing. I am. The first one I saw was, was squatty potty. That was the, <laughs> it's so good. That was the one that I saw first. Uh, and then I got a, kind of sort of started looking around and trying to find them. And I sort of got introduced to you guys through the ClickFunnels community from mm-hmm. like, cause I'm pretty sure you worked with Russell Brunson on, on his one, right? And, yeah, so and R- Russell, Russell is based in Idaho, which is the state just north of Utah where, where we are. So we're just a few hour drive apart from each other. So we've become pretty good friends and, and colleagues. And they've, they've even been one of our clients. We've, Mm. We've done a few campaigns for them as well. So we love yeah. Russell. Yeah. So I've got to ask, like, how do you, how do you even come up with this stuff? Like, are you just, are you just sitting there in a room going, okay, this is product and this would be hilarious if we did this and you just write down a bunch of jokes or is there a formula to it? Like, is it all art uh, or is there some science? I mean, it's definitely a blend of art meeting science. And, and mm. quite frankly, when I came onto the team, the role that I was there to to perform was bringing the science side of the equation to the art. And so from the outside looking in, people just see the list of campaigns and the track record, but they don't understand that when you peel back the curtains, there is actually a method to the madness. Mm. And if, if you had to boil that method down to just its simplest form, it's just a cycle that basically says, come up with an idea, test the idea, look at the data that that test is giving you, and based on that data, tweak, modify, or confirm the idea that you came up with, and then rinse and repeat over and over and over and over and over again, you know, dozens or hundreds or thousands of times until you find ideas that are gold and they rise above the rest and and they you know, they end up being what, what makes a campaign wildly successful. So for instance, I'll give you an example. So we, we talked about that Poopery campaign. That was a really unique situation because the company Poopery was dealing with the subject of poop on a daily basis. We were not. And so we were coming to this subject with fresh eyes and fresh ears, which meant we were less desensitized than they were. They would mm. hear these crass, nasty poop jokes, and they wouldn't even be bothered in the least by them. And we would hear them, and we would cringe. And we'd go, oh, you know, gross, you've taken that too far, that kind of thing. 
And, and so through the process of writing that script, you know, we're coming up with all these jokes and all these different lines. And there was one line in particular that our team was just certain that we just knew it took it too far. We were like, that is just absolutely disgusting. But Poopery, their team was like, no, we really like that line. That line's really funny. Let's roll with it. And rather than like butting heads and trying to, you know, argue over who's right and mm. who's wrong, the natural response was, no problem. Let's test it and let's see what the see what the data tells us. And so the line was the opening line to the ad. And to this day, I'm still like, I'm embarrassed to, you know, to even say it because it, it just strikes me as so incredibly disgusting, but it worked. And the data showed us how much it worked. And we realized that the Poopery team in that case was right. And we were wrong. And we only knew that because of the data. So the opening line of that commercial, if you remember right, it opens, it's a, it's a public bathroom, the door to the stall swings open, and there is a beautiful British woman sitting on the toilet in a blue dress. And she says, I just burped, <laughs> no, let me see if I can get it right. Um, so disgusting. I just birthed a creamy behemoth from my cavernous bowels, which gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's so freaking disgusting. But apparently it, it provided the shock value, but it was mm. delivered by a proper British woman who is like the last person on earth who you would expect to be saying yeah. something so foul. And I think that created this level of safety where it was like, Okay, if you know, if almost this aristocratic British woman can say it, yeah. then it must be okay. Yeah. And and it worked and it like caught people's attention and it held their attention and, and it was just a wild success. But that's just one example of how art and science can be married together yeah. so that you know you have an idea and you test it and then through that testing process, it either gets confirmed or you realize, well, we, we've got to yeah. pivot away from that. With that, does the company come to you and say, hey, this is kind of what we'd like to do and we want to have these things mentioned, et cetera, et cetera? Or do they kind of just come to you and say, this is what we do in our business and who we kind of want to target? And then you kind of have creative freedom, essentially. And then you come back to them and then you riff. How does it sort of work? Yeah, so it's, it's definitely the latter. So I know there are agencies out there that kind of do like the stereotypical pitch or whatever, where mm. you know they show up to the client and they have their storyboards or their pitch deck or whatever. They're like, okay, we have this brilliant idea and here's why, you know, it's going to work for you. Here's why you should hire us. And then they, you know, they try to convince them and, and that's how they do it. That's not how we work at all. Instead for us, it's, it's just a simple matter of, Clients know that we have a methodology and that we'll follow the methodology and we have a really, really good track record of success. And so their chances of success in working with us are very high. And so they just know that they have to sign up and trust the process as they go through it. So mm -hmm. the creative process actually happens after they're already a client, not mm -hmm. before. We don't win clients with big creative ideas. Mm -hmm. That all comes after. And the interesting thing about it is it's not us pitching the client when the creative process happens. Instead, the creative process happens side by side with the client. Mm. So what we do is we, we will assign three or four writers 
to come up with their wildest ideas. You know, the sky's the limit. Come up with something crazy, come up with something zany, and write a script around it. And while those four writers are doing their initial script, they're not allowed to collaborate with each other because we don't mm. want groupthink. We want, you know, these unique individual ideas to get a chance to, to kind of develop into something that has potential. And then we bring those four writers to a cabin. We usually rent a cabin up at Sundance, which is famous for the Sundance Film Festival. It's owned by Robert Redford. So it's, you know, really famous creative community and it's just this beautiful place up in the mountains. Mm. And so we will take the writers to a cabin and we spend a couple of days locked in the cabin, get rid of all the distractions, you know, no cell phones, no email, nothing like that. We're just hyper-focused on the problem at hand. And so that's the point where each of those four writers get the opportunity to present their script and their idea, both to the client and to me and my team at the same time, like I'm literally hearing these ideas for the first time side by side with my client, which in the early days that used to scare me because I was like, what happens <laughs> if there's just like this bomb of a terrible idea? But I've been through it enough times now that I trust the process and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't make me nervous like it used to. But what happens is those four writers each individually present their script and their idea we all hear it, absorb it, and then we all debate what's working, what's not working, what is strong, what is weak, what has the potential to be, you know, a household recognizable brand. You know, we're asking all these questions and ultimately we hone in on one concept that we want to use as the backbone for the script, for the concept. And then from that point forward, the writers work as a team. They're no longer working in their individual silos. They're now collaborating to bring all their best ideas, all their experience, all their best jokes, and, and get it all into one super powerful script. And their client is there side by side with us as this is happening. And so we never are kind of like battling to try to convince the client that, you know, mm. hey, our idea is awesome. They're right there with us. And they're part of the, the creative process. So by the time we leave that writing retreat, they're so aligned and so excited about, mm. you know, the vision of, of where this is going. And that's kind of how, how the process works and how, you know, we end up with things like FiberFix where we're throwing cars off of a cliff and, you know, having a super redneck character um, <laughs> you know, to, to um, drive the cars off the cliff. That's so good. I, I really need the listeners to go and watch some of these videos if you haven't, and you'll know why I'm cracking up and losing focus because they're so good. It's just the way that they're shot and the characters in them and the story that's being told and how it relates to the product is, is absolute magic. Let me ask you, do you find it any difficulty or, or difference in process when you're working with sort of serious businesses versus less serious in terms of their, their product and their market and things like that? I thought I saw on your YouTube, it was like a, a marriage counseling or something like that one versus, for example, poopery, which is naturally leaning towards mm -hmm. uh, humor versus ones that don't inherently have humor on the face of them. Do you find a difference in that creative process? A little bit. And, and I'll explain what I mean by that. So there's an underlying principle that applies to any campaign, any business. It doesn't matter if it's serious or, or not serious. Mm. 
And that underlying principle is that you have to make stuff that people actually want to consume. Mm. And I, I think a really good illustration of that is, do you remember back in the days before Netflix and Amazon, when we used to you know, consume TV that was just broadcast over the air, we all dealt with commercial breaks. Yeah. It was just a way of life. They, they were just there. And we were a captive audience, and therefore the advertisers could force feed us whatever crap they wanted to. Hmm. And, and we were just kind of stuck. And that's why the ads were so often terrible. They just, it, it was just such garbage, such a waste of time. But when Jeff Harmon and the brothers were working on that aura brush that I mentioned early on, it was interesting. They made it, they came up with an ad that was two and a half minutes long, which is a really oddball length for an ad. Like in the world of advertising, you usually have infomercials, which are like 30 minutes. Sometimes you can have a short infomercial that's like 15 or 20 minutes, but they're long format, right? Or you have short format ads, usually 15, 30, or 60 second ads. And so this two and a half minute ad was just a total odd duck. This doesn't fit in, in anything. And so everyone was telling them, like, this is never going to work. You got to make a 30 second ad. And Jeff's like, no, I need two and a half minutes to properly educate and entertain and sell in on what this, you know, what this product does and why it matters to you and why you should care. I need the two and a half minutes. And so he actually reached out to YouTube, which remember was just recently purchased by, by Google. So it was still a very fledgling platform and they were running it very much like a startup where they were totally open to experimenting and trying new ideas and seeing what sticks, seeing what doesn't. And Jeff went to them and he said, guys, can you make me a skip button so that people who want to watch this can and people who don't want to watch it can just skip it? And they're like, oh, that's a really interesting idea. Let's give it a try. Wow. And at the time, I don't think anyone understood how impactful that little skip button would become. But now, you know, we're what, 10, 12, whatever years later. Mm-hmm. I personally believe that one little thing might have been the biggest impact in the world of advertising in probably decades. Yeah. Because it shifted the power away from the advertisers and back to the viewers. It gave the viewers the power to decide what they want to consume and what they want to skip. And so that forced advertisers to change our mindset instead of being like, okay, Mm. I'm just going to force feed you, you know, whatever message I think is important. Now I have to make stuff that you actually want to watch, stuff that you'll voluntarily give time to when you're extremely busy, you have a million things you could be doing, a million different things vying for your attention. You have to voluntarily choose to absorb the message that I'm putting in front of you. And so that forced advertisers to think more like entertainers. And now Mm -hmm. we have to be like, okay, I have to give you something worthwhile. It turns out, and this is getting back to your question, it turns out that humor is a really, really effective tool for giving people something that they something yeah. that they want to watch. Because if you think about it, part of the experience is you watch something, you really enjoy it, you want to share it with your friends. And with humor, that's like the universal thing that, that yeah. everybody wants to share, right? Other things can be shareable, but they usually have a caveat with them. Like, 
oftentimes controversial things can become really shareable, but they're usually polarizing. And so before mm-hmm. you share, you're always like, eh, do I want to be that guy? Um, yeah. you, you know, cause you know, like, okay, there's part of my audience that's going to love this, but there's probably this other part of my audience that's going to be like, Oh, you know, other things, fear-based messages. You see those spread, especially we've seen fear-based messages all throughout the pandemic spreading like crazy. But once again, when you're spreading a fear-based message, you're that guy. And um, other things can be shareable too. Uh, inspirational stuff can be shareable, usually not to the degree of humor, but you know, still shareable. So getting back to your question of do we handle it different when it's humor-based or when it's more serious? We're still trying to ask ourselves, how can we tell this story in a way that people actually want to watch it in a way that they will voluntarily give their time and focus and energy to consume this? And because we don't have humor to use as a tool in those situations, sometimes it's more work, sometimes it's trickier, sometimes we have to go through more testing, sometimes we have to go through more massaging, but ultimately that principle of give the viewer something that they want to watch, it holds whether we're using humor or not. Yeah. Okay. Because I wasn't sure whether you tended only to work in the humor realm or not, but that's interesting. It's the it's the same concept, but obviously where you can run with humor, you're going to do that because it's going to it's going to pop like you know what i mean like you said with the sharing right humor is humor mm-hmm. is great but in certain circumstances obviously it's it's not a good fit as well uh sort of similar question with businesses that have kind of a smaller more specific focus or audience versus mass market products squatty potty reasonably mass market something like a service or a niched product etc um how do you tackle those things differently because i know that especially in, in healthcare right and, and for our listeners they're massage therapists they're chiropractors they're working with specific uh, groups of people for particular outcomes and mm-hmm. are not as much of a mass mass market kind of business so there's certain principles that are not scale specific meaning that the principle holds true whether it's a tiny little business we're a massive business. But the scale of the production, the shock value, the whiz-bang factor, so to speak, can go up as the business becomes more scalable. And so a business that has a mass market appeal and you know brings in millions or tens of millions of dollars in revenue can afford to invest much more heavily in big, exciting, you know, wild productions that, that really catch people's attention, like, for instance, fiber fix and the cars flying off the cliff. That was not an inexpensive production, right? We had six individual cars that we had to prepare, build roll cages for, you know, assemble with duct tape and fiber fix and all that stuff. For the listeners who don't know, the demonstration was One car flies off of a cliff wrapped in a roll cage held together by duct tape. It falls apart, gets smashed. Then the next car flies off the cliff wrapped in a roll cage held together by fiber fix. It tumbles down the mountain, flips, twists, spins, all that, lands at the bottom completely intact. Totally real demonstration. And it just demonstrated the the strength of this fiberglass repair tape. It's 100 times stronger than, than duct tape. But once again, that whole demonstration was not a low budget thing. It's not something that 
you know, a chiropractor or a massage therapist could could afford to be like, hey, I'm going to invest several hundred thousand dollars into this massive campaign. But the underlying principles underneath it are saying, okay, principle number one, give your viewers something that they want to watch. We already talked about that. And then principle number two is to speak directly to the pain that your customer feels, empathize with that pain, and then present a solution in a way that allows your customer to be the hero in their own journey. Mm. So don't present yourself as, as the hero. Don't present yourself as, you know, the savior to all their problems. Instead, present yourself as somebody who empathizes with what they're going through and then give them the tools and the guidance that they need to be successful in their own journey. And so th- those are the two principles that hold true, whether you're huge, big nationwide production, or whether you're, you're a tiny little provider. The tiny little provider, because you have smaller budgets, you're not going to be able to have big film crews and expensive cameras and lighting and lenses. You might be shooting messages on your cell phone. You know, you might be hiring the, you know, the kids from the local university who are in film school to come out and light it and film it. You might not have the, the same resources, but you can still follow those principles. Yeah, I resonate with that. I like what you said, right? Providing them the tools to be the hero in their own journey. Most people come along and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to help you with that. But ultimately, me as an individual is wanting to have an outcome and I'm looking for the way to get to that outcome. You're just part of the process to facilitate me getting there rather than necessarily wanting to divert and look at you and then try and get there. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. 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 What, one of my favorite books is by Donald Miller. It's called how to build a story brand. And, mm. and it's a deep dive into this very subject. It, it argues that let's use star Wars as an analogy. So Luke is the hero of the story. Obi-Wan Kenobi is his guide and Obi-Wan gives him a tool, which is the lightsaber and gives him guidance, which is teaching him to use the force. And then that empowers Luke to go and blow up the Death Star and, you know, avoid, avoid defeat from the mm. evil empire. We take that and then we apply it to ourselves. Luke is the customer. They're the hero in their own journey. Your brand is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Your brand is the guide. And as a guide, you empathize with what they're facing and you have the authority because, Hey, I've been there too. I know what you're going through. This is how I found success. Let me show you how you can find success. Then your product or your service, whatever it is you're selling is essentially that lightsaber. It's the tool that the customer needs to find success in their own journey. And so when you position yourself in that way, and you respect the fact that the customer is their own hero, then you just become part of their story instead of trying to make them part of your story. And that's so, so important to understand that dynamic because that helps you create a brand that they know and love and remember and trust. Yeah, and I'm thinking about it. That's so good. You're showing them how they can find success like you have, but you're not helping them get success. Like I have to come on your journey. Like 
please let me come with you. I need to come with you and show you type thing. You're giving them the tools and you're helping them find success in their story. I really like that because when I watch the Fiberfix ad, I'm like, yeah, I could use that. Like I'm not a, I'm not a guy who does stuff around the house uh, for those listening. It's, it's just not what I'm good at or what I focus on. But when I watch that, I'm like, man, I need to get some of that because then I can fix things, right? And I really like how that, that story leans to that and watching it behind the curtains is, is interesting. What advice would you give to a health coach, a trainer, health professional, if they were looking at starting and doing some kind of video ad for their service uh, where they don't have a large budget and they haven't necessarily done it before and they're not necessarily the greatest creator in the world? Because I know that there's a lot of people mm-hmm. who have a message, but it's like, holy crap, like, where do I start? What do I do? Am I just going to do the welcome to my clinic? And then, you know, that classic follow them around the clinic. This is my assistant. This is my, you know what I mean? Or like walking down the street and you're, you know, you're talking to the camera. What, what can we do that, that would be a bit more creative than that? That's a bit left of field and help mm-hmm. us get our message out there. So by far and away, the most important thing when you're starting out and you have a very limited budget is to get your script right. Because your script is what determines the positioning. You know, we just talked about the hero's journey, setting yourself up mm. as the guide, setting the customer up as the, as the hero, all of those things. All that positioning happens by getting your script right. And the empathy and the authority that the guide needs to exude, all of that gets portrayed by having the right script. Once you have the right script, then you can lean on, you know, I mentioned like go to the local university and find some film students. They're trained on how to set up lights so that the subject looks good. They're trained on how to choose the right lens and depth of field so that, you know, it looks really nice. They're trained to make things look nice, but they're not trained to sell. And so, you know, if you go and get help from a film student, they're going to be able to give you something pretty, but they're not going to be able to give you something effective. For that, you have to start with the script. So we actually have what we call our 14-day script challenge. It's basically a, an online course slash challenge that you can go through in 14 days. It's, it's an intense 14 days. So a lot of people take longer than 14 days because they, they try to break it up a little bit because it's, it's a lot of work in those 14 days. But it takes them from no script to a fully baked, fully fleshed out script where you get all the positioning right, all of those things, so that you can then take that and go into production. And I don't care if your production is with a cell phone and a film student or if it's with a like full crew and you know perf- cinematic cameras and lenses and all that stuff, you need to have that script. So I think if any of the listeners want to check that out, I think we have it listed at harmanbrothersuniversity.com. That's yeah. harmanbrothersuniversity.com. It's called the 14-Day Script Challenge. I want to say the price on it is like $197 or something. Um, so it's you know super affordable. And in terms of getting a, a video out the door on a budget, I don't think there's a more affordable way to, to go. And then you know beyond that, if, if somebody's like, you know, hey, I have a little bit of budget, but I don't have the time to write my own script. I need to hire somebody. Then we have, we have a group of writers. They're actually our students who are, are learning our methodologies and perfecting them. We, in certain circumstances, in certain situations, will take on clients just for writing scripts, where mm-hmm. that way our students can get repetitions. 
And um, that's also a very affordable way to to get a script, you know, for someone who has a little bit of a budget, mm. but not enough time. So those are both great options. Yeah, amazing. If I can ask, is there anything exciting that you're working on at the moment that you think is going to pop like the other ones have? And can you give us any details? Yeah, we're we're actually working on something totally new, which we're we're pretty excited about it. We're actually making a television show and a couple reasons for it. One is because, you know, that principle that I talked about of to be effective as an advertiser, you have to give something that people want to watch. Mm-hmm. And, and so we believe that effective advertisers are actually really effective entertainers. And so long term, we plan to have a kind of dual track business where we're both in, in the business of making television and movies and that sort of thing, because we have to develop just world-class entertainers. And then at the same time, we're, we continue to be a world-class advertising agency and we can allow people to kind of go back and forth between those worlds so that our creatives are getting repetitions in both of those worlds. And the second reason that we're doing it is because we, we had the opportunity to help do a fundraising campaign for a show called The Chosen. It's a television show about Jesus Christ, but told through the perspective of the people around him. So like where the Bible would just mention a character and maybe two or three details about that character. The idea behind this show is that they go and take some creative liberties and build out those stories around, mm. around these characters. And anyways, we got to help in the fundraising campaign and it shattered the world record for fundraising done on a film project. The, the previous record holder was Veronica Mars. It had raised five point something million dollars. The Chosen raised $11 million, so blew the record out of the water. They took that $11 million and they went and produced season one of the show. They launched that this past November, and it has been so well received. It is now on track to become the highest rated show on imdb.com of all time. It's rated 9.8 with thousands of ratings on there. Rotten Tomatoes has it at, at like 99% or something like that. It's been viewed in every country in the world except for North Korea. It's now translated, I think it's dubbed into six different languages, subtitled into like 40 different languages. Mm. It has just been wildly, wildly successful. Wow. And they actually pioneered a totally new way to distribute the, the content. You don't get it through Netflix or through Amazon. You just go to the app store and download the chosen app and then you can watch it anywhere in the world for free and you just cast it to, you know, whatever smart TV you want to, cast it to your Roku TV, your Samsung TV, whatever Apple TV and you watch it anywhere for free and then if you love the content, they invite you to pay it forward so that other people can then enjoy it as well. And, and the business model behind it has just, uh, it's just been amazing. It's taken Mm. off like a rocket ship. And so we decided to follow in their footsteps and take advantage of this new model that they had pioneered. And so our television show is actually, we're following the same path they did where we're crowdfunding it, but not like a Kickstarter. It's not like we're asking for people to donate money to the show 
we are allowing people to come in as investors into the show. So if the show is successful oh, and wow. it makes money, then our investors end up making money. So we launched that a couple of weeks ago. We've raised, let me see what the latest is. Looks like we've raised $280,000. Uh, so we need about another $700,000. We need the million dollars. So episode one is already in the works. And then that million dollars will fund the next three episodes uh, yeah. after that. So anyone who's interested in checking that out, it's TuttleTwins.tv. Tuttle, T-U-T-T-L-E, Twins, T-W-I-N-S.com. And it's based on a best-selling uh, book series, children's book series called The Tuttle Twins. Um, it's sold over 1.5 million copies. So anyways, that's what we're yeah. up to right now. That's amazing. I'm going to have that in the show notes. Hey, look, I, I, I'm um, conscious of your time and, and, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for being here. This amazing value. Uh, I've got a page of notes here for myself as well. And, and I know that our listeners will too. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you for listening to the show. If you liked the episode, please hit subscribe and leave us a review. I'd really appreciate it as it helps us get our episodes out to more people just like you who want to know how to increase their revenue, impact more people, and build businesses that work for the lifestyle they want. Now, I know your time is valuable, and I know that you are here to learn the secrets to success in your health business. So I have something special for you just for checking out the episode. Now, if you're a health professional, coach, or trainer in business, and you're serious about growing a profitable, impactful business, then pay attention, because as a listener of the show, I want you to win. And so I've created a host of resources available exclusively for listeners of the show. So if you're tired of trying to figure out this game of business, marketing, and sales all on your own, and you're ready to just implement what's already proven to work rather than reinventing the wheel, I want you right now to go and check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. That's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. And there you'll find over $5,000 worth of trainings, resources, and coaching available only for listeners of the show. Again, that's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. There I'll give you resources on everything from how to acquire 10 times more of your ideal clients using social media and paid ads, even referrals, how to increase your client conversion into packages at an 80 to 90% conversion rate like me, how to retain your clients for longer, getting them better results and making them happier, how to increase your prices and charge a premium to work with you and how you can build a six, multi-six, even seven-figure practice just like I did but with a 10th of the time and a 10th of the effort. What I want you to realize is that everything I teach comes from exactly what I did to have success and still have success in my own health business. And I want to share that with you so you can have success too. So go check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider right now and let me help you win big in your health business. Also remember to subscribe for two episodes every week full of the secrets to have success in your health business as well as leave us a review so we know what you thought of the show. And I'll see you on the next episode.